Hi everyone, welcome back to the Planet Podcast. After some 80 podcasts in the first half of the year and then followed by a long summer break, it is high time for a new series. And the focus will again be on the global challenges that we face, like the climate crisis, uh, biodiversity loss or issues like pollution. And we will focus on the solutions. How can we preserve this planet for next generations, including new solutions for our water and, and food and, and energy challenges that we, are, that we are facing. And we will talk about the moral and the social and often the, the leadership aspects of this unique period of transformation that we are in. Don't forget that this, call, this app is called Call In, and that's for a good reason, because you can call in to the podcast. So if you have any questions or comments, please join us in the Q&A, but yeah, please wait towards the end of our talk before you do so. Now to start this new series, I'm very honored to have as our guest today, Professor Grace Lasker. She is a teaching professor at the University of Washington Bottle in Public and Environmental Health and Toxicology. And her impressive CV includes no less than three PhDs and Dr. Lasker focuses on the intersection of toxicology and green chemistry and public health and the role of social and environmental justice. She's a nationally prominent researcher and an advocate for implementing justice and equity-centered frameworks in programming and organizational infrastructure. And in all her presentations and writing, it is clear that Dr. Lasker passionately believes that everyone deserves the opportunity to learn and to be healthy. So today, we have a wide area of topics that we can cover, from green chemistry to issues like a fair future for all and the role of education to prepare the next generation. And this next generation should not only lead in technological and science innovation, but they should do so in a way that it leads to better public health in diverse communities and a much more just society. So having said all this, Thank you, Grace, for joining us today. I, I mentioned green chemistry in my introduction. Could you explain what it is and why green chemistry is, is relevant for us to know more about it? Yeah, Alexander, thank you so much for this opportunity to have a conversation and really sort of connect things and systems and ideas that maybe we have connected but don't know how to put that together into action or hopefully over this next hour together however long we spend together we'll be able to also think about um, new connections that we hadn't necessarily thought were an important part of the action that we need to take for um, really just kind of what I say is saving the world. So <laughs> thank you for this opportunity to have a conversation. And, you know, green chemistry is one of those actionable principles and, and frameworks to, to use in our toolbox when we start thinking about all of the really complex and overwhelming work that we have to do globally. So green chemistry, like I said, is just kind of one of our frameworks of, of many that we'll have a conversation about today, or at least be able to mention those words and then sort of allow those listeners to be able to go into the places that they have stakeholdership in and learn more about. Um, but, you know, green chemistry is a relatively new phenomenon. I mean, in night, it was in 98 that, you know, Dr. Paul Anassis and, and Dr. John Warner published the set of principles that really guides what green chemistry is. And there's, you know, 12 very um, unique and um, important but simple principles that really address ways to, to think about the work that we do in industry, consumerism, and research in terms of the environmental and health impacts uh, in the chemistry aspect of that production. And so it's a really um, important way to think about how the decisions that you make technologically can have positive rather than negative impacts. And I like to think of it as a way to have a greater understanding of what were the unintentional consequences of the decisions that we made in the past when we didn't center the environmental 
and health aspects of production and industry and, and policy. So for me, it's a really important reminder of um, where we were and what we need to do to not be there again. Yeah, you mentioned those 12 principles. Could you give a few examples? You just mentioned all 12, but, but just to give a bit of an idea what green chemistry, what to think of. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So my favorite of the of all of them is number four, which is to design safer chemicals. And so um, an example of that is really thinking about, you know, we do have incredible technology. We do have, um, you know, we're as advanced as we ever were as a species right now. And so the uh, way in which we can use um, computers and data and think forward into what those environmental and health impacts might be before we've even designed chemicals um, is an example of using green chemistry in, in the process of, of developing products and making um, pathways and manufacturing um, processes better for health and, and people as well. Another really important one is uh, principle number six, design for energy efficiency. And so how can we think about the, the way that we use atoms, but then also the way in which we use the, the, the processes by which to, to move these products, create these products, how they're cradle to grave, and, and all of these you know, massively huge sort of considerations that we need to make about um, the way that we, we use atoms in this, in this world and how we can um, really consider that differently using those yeah. principles of green chemistry. And the yeah, number- I mentioned in my, in my introduction, things like uh, climate change and pollution, and yeah, this number six that you mentioned, they, they're both there already. And uh, we need more energy efficiency and we need to do that without pollution. So it seems to be very much green chemistry. It's something we very much need, uh, especially in this day and age. It's, it's a very important um, framework. And, you know, I, when I have conversations with people about how do we do what, what's the implementation? What are the steps? How do I get started? Uh, one of the most important things I say is that you really need to call up what these frameworks are and you have to build from them because they, especially in science, we, we talk about evidence-based, we talk about data and, um, you know, we have some tried and true processes for advancing technology and research and, and those sort of things, but they all have to lay on a foundation of framework. And so green chemistry is a great technological and scientific framework to um, build sort of your, your processes off. But as we have this conversation together, you and I, we're going to talk about other frameworks too that also are just as important and need to be a part of the planning and the futuring that we do. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because it's one aspect of, of a much bigger thing. We, we are recording this now because we do this live, but later people will listen to the recording. So, so just to note for those that are listening later, we are recording this now in late October 2022. So we are just weeks ahead of the all-important uh, climate change COP27, the conference of parties, so basically the conference of all countries in the world that once a year come together to talk about climate. This one will take place in Egypt. And then just a couple of weeks later in December, we have COP15, and that is not a climate COP, but that is the other very important process. You normally hear a bit less about it, um, but uh, that is the COP on uh, biodiversity uh, that will play, take place here in Canada, by the way, from where, uh, where I am uh, at the moment. And uh, both of these uh, issues need a lot of uh, attention. It shows that we live in really challenging times. And for you, as an educator, you are just, just one of those millions of people who's preparing the next generation to deal with the problems that our generation leaves behind for them to solve. And these are, these are all wicked problems that, that you would likely have been solved if the challenge was easy. If it was just a financial thing, we would have found the money. If it was just technical, we would have worked some 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 science and techno technological uh, wizardry. We would have solved it. Uh, it's also a governance problem, but it's all of these things together. It's a kind of multi-headed dragon. And for that, we would need all hands on deck. And we also need a new generation of really committed 
global citizen. So, so what do you think that this challenge means for the future of our education systems? Is just teaching green chemistry enough to get there? Uh, what 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 kind of change do we need, and and what and how should we educate the next generation? That's an incredibly complex sort of uh, question there. I, I and I think that. Um, it really needs to start with how we contextualize what the actual issues are. You mentioned this um, reoccurring theme that is totally appropriate to mention, um, but I love to open up to more grace around the situation in that the, these aren't generational issues. You can't point to any one or two generations and say this was your fault and now we have to fix it. These are multi-millennial systems that have grown and changed based on privilege in, in, in space and class and access to resources. And these systems have evolved and they are their own thing irrespective of, of people really now at this point. And so what needs to really be considered in the way that we think about this is what do we have to do to fix the system, not the problem? You'll never ever get ahead of the problems if the system is the one that's creating it. So I like to give grace to the idea that we're all a part of that. All generations are a part of that. And we all have the power within to, to shift and change those systems. Um, and a lot of them are social and political. And the interactions of science between and within all of those, there's privilege that's there. There's oppression that's there. There's these larger concepts that they really need to be considered in, I mean, really from the start with the communication and the conversations we have with young people all the way through with their training and education into the workforce and, and, and really helping people understand that this is the, a different shift in looking how to um, solve the problem. So you had mentioned, do we just need to teach green chemistry? Of course we don't need to teach green chemistry. And in fact, most learning happens outside of formal educational systems regardless. But we don't value that in our system because formal education in university, going to secondary, having access to those sort of trainings and everything um, brings privilege, it brings class privilege. and. It's um, a value set that we've ingrained into the system of education as that being valuable. But it doesn't necessarily fix problems. Um, and in fact, it, those unintended consequences that green chemistry has made to sort of try to combat has been a result of those systems privileging that sort of education. <laughs> so I, 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 when I'm in the classroom and, and I'm working and I'm developing programs and, and degrees with my students, we start there and we say, what's our global citizenship around those social aspects of systems? Because if you start there, then the solutions that are embedded in, in changing those systems will fix our climate, our global sort of natural and health systems as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, yeah, I'm very much with you there. This is incredibly complex. It is, it is a system. It has evolved over, 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 yeah, millennia. That is right. Is it, is one of the failures of the old system that we're still in that, um, environment was always marginalized in, in the overall, um, let's say importance of things that we that we I think you you mentioned somewhere a line you said something like space was we took space for granted is is that is that the same kind of aspect that we forgot about the environment it's not mentioned in, in the GDP etc is, is that part of that that whole problem well I think that yes you're you're right in that the ability and privilege to not be concerned about environment has really come from the implementation of concepts related to Western medicine, Western science, and, and sort of these sort of uh, privileged systems that have, have grown up 
it allows one to not have to quote worry about it. Um, but there's other points of view and other ways in which people navigate uh, all of these complexities where they never forgot about the, the number one most important thing is that we have to we have to be at one with the space that we live within that that keeps us and supports us alive um, we are the secondary to that and so indigenous science for example has um, absolutely um, collectivizes around that idea and that that global importance and so I think that certain geopolitical systems and and uh you know the, the way in which we have changed in certain countries uh really just focused on that that one point of view where the the secondary aspects of like economy and um continued privilege for those that already had that <laughs> those those ranks um supporting those instead so it's a dichotomous uh, view of the same world are you hopeful that things get better? I mean, I'm I'm asking you as I'm I'm thinking about about all the all these different aspects. And and while you were talking, I was thinking about, for instance, the issue of gender. When I was at high school, and that's 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 really a long time ago by now. Um, all the boys they took uh, chemistry and physics, etc., and the girls did languages. There were a few exceptions, but there was there was a clear diversion there. I've now the impression if you look. If you now go, let's say, to a technical university, at least in the Netherlands, I see a, a really impressive, much higher number of women there than in my days when I was a student. So there, there is a trend towards more, let's say, kind of diversity or, or, or a more equal division amongst, amongst gender. That is a kind of trend in society, which I suppose is, is part of the big solution that we, that we are going to do. You see this trend and do you, do you see more positive trends that we just should, should strengthen and, and extend? I think that it's sometimes it, it, it feels good, right? To, to, to see and have these observations that it, it feels like, you know, we are inviting more scientists of color into space, more women scientists into conversations. Um, and, and, Really, honestly, there's a there's an issue or a potential um, trouble in that because you can say by the numbers we've done our job. This is great, and it's just going to by by default get better because we've we've done the work of inviting these um, individuals into into science and, and technology. But when you look at um, how these individuals are accepted into leadership and um, other greater policy and decision-making um, aspects of those organizations is very low, it still is low. Um, and then globally, you know, just in the gender issue, um, uh, girls and, and women being allowed to have education, that's a whole nother conversation that we could spend decades having. And so um, I think that just having people be present is a, is a, is a good step but it certainly doesn't lend to solving the problem. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, going back to the to the, the to the green chemistry, and then linking it to one of the other main issues that that, that you might focus on, uh, environmental justice. Do you do you think that green chemistry connects directly to environmental justice? I mean, absolutely. It's a foundational aspect of why um, Paul and John saw the need to, to create this in the first place. And, and um, I think that uh, in conversations globally too, um, green chemistry has, um, it, it's growing, but it's also shifting. So, so part of the, the work that I've seen in, in um, having these sort of um, bigger conversations is that shift from the green chemistry with that one aspect of environmental and human health, but then expanding that into sustainability. So now um, uh, green sustainability or sustainability and chemistry, these are sort of these sort of language shifts that we're, we're making because it, you just have to address economy and society in and along with environment. Um, there's no going around it. We're people and we are, we are systems that prioritize economy um, and and then deprioritize the other two. So we've got to fix that shift in balance. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you talk about systems thinking, a systems thinking approach to health. Uh, could you could you mention a bit more about that? Uh, could, could you give an example, for instance, your own teaching? How do you integrate system thinking uh, connected to, to, to a better health, global health for the planet, health for people, etc.? You know, one of the things that I feel very, um, you know, I feel an unfortunate side effect of academia and education is that we've sort of um, taken and reappropriated ideas that are very basic and very much a part of our living and made them be complex and confusing and, you know, sort of like unattainable ideas for, for people. And systems thinking is kind of one of those things. Um, it's really just uh, eyes wide open to all of the things going on around you and the way in which things are connected. We are, every single human being is a systems thinker. When we wake up and we think about how if we don't have our tea in the morning, it's going to affect our afternoon meeting. And boy, I really need to make sure that I finish that book because it's super exciting and I don't want to fall asleep before then. You have now connected many different aspects to, to solve a problem, which is I want to read that chapter at the end of the day. How do I get there? And so interconnectedness of everything is really a human, um, it's, it's one of our strengths. So when we think of systems thinking, I absolutely um, try very hard to help other uh, professors and teachers who are trying to think about implementing systems thinking into their education, into their classrooms, helping their students figure out. I'm like, keep it simple. So I, I definitely try to keep it simple while sort of showing to light the fact that the, the interrelatedness of everything means that you actually have to think about everything. You have to actually draw connections. You have to go listen to that podcast. You have to read that article. You have to take that class. You have to talk to that uncle that, that does that work. You have to talk to the auntie that does that work. And you have to think about how it's all connected and then make decisions accordingly. So that's one of the most important parts of systems is that the decision that you make has a ripple effect to the rest of the system. So there's no amount of just making a decision in a singular space and it not affecting anything else, right? And we know this, we're people, we, this is our lives. So our students, we teach our students to think about those decisions as well and whether they're um, going to be in STEM, in technology, whether they're gonna be in public health or teachers, whether they're studying sociology, psychology, art, theater, it really doesn't matter. It's applicable in every single thing we do. And it's the only way that we can address huge complex global challenges. It, it, even in our own lives, the only way that we can do that is considering that interrelatedness of everything. But when, yeah, you said, keep it simple, but at a certain moment you were dealing with so many data from so many problems and so many information that you have together that you you move to software i suppose and and, and put all these data in it's are you are you using that kind of software yeah um, there's there's it's very important. I mean, STEM is a, a data-driven um, methodology for decision-making, right? And there's programs like JUMP that is really geared towards research and scientists to be able to think about how the changes that they make in processes or, or, or otherwise, how that has that ripple effect. And, and then they can think about how to um, maximize um, more greener and sustainable decisions and, and figure out did it have the actual intended impact that I hoped that it had? I can actually show that with data and outputs from this, the JUMP software and really kind of use that to, to demonstrate that change has been made. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the interview I had uh, in, in the first half of this year with uh, WildTrack. That was this, um, this NGO or company, I'm not really sure of the legal status, but uh, that put all these data in there of tracks of animals and then uses just the, 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 the yeah the big data and the self-learning to to identify patterns etc that was typically one of those examples of so much data you can put in for an environmental good so that's yeah, interesting you also mentioned the um, uh, 
in, in just before we start, we spoke about the certification that you developed. Could you say a bit more about that? Yeah, it, it's again, I have a passion for people learning. Uh, and then, you know, once you learn, you can't unlearn. And so I, I really value that. And so a number of my colleagues that are in spaces of green chemistry and toxicology, sustainability and business uh, came together and brainstormed about how how do we embed this into people's learning and how do we help them find the tools to be able to make those changes, to use the software like Jump to say, hey, I want to do something in sustainability. I don't know if this is just going to cost us more problems and then make us, you know, never have that ability again, or did it make true impact? So we developed a, um, a post-baccalaureate certificate in, between the University of Washington and Yale University for students that are um, uh, already in their jobs or in a um, graduate uh, educational um, opportunities to really be exposed to business and sustainability and human health impacts in decision-making within their industries. And so we've get engineers, we get a lot of apparel scientists and um, chief sustainability officers that are like, we know we wanna do the right thing. Our, our industry and our corporations have dedicated to doing the right thing, but we just don't know how to do that. We don't know how to measure it. We don't know what tools to use. We don't know how to predict outcomes. I mean, this is very complex research questions, right? Um, and there's just no primer on how to do this. So we wanted to make that primer in a way um, with this certificate program. So it's called the Green Chemistry and Chemical Stewardship um, Certificate. Yeah, fantastic. It, it reminds me in talks that I have had with people from, from companies and, and all over the place that uh, that say exactly this, like, uh, uh, we want to become more sustainable, we don't really know where to start, and they just start somewhere, I mean, it, whatever, you can insulate your house better, or your company, or something, that is already sustainable, but it's just one action, and it's it's not integrated in, in, uh, in, in a bigger schedule of everything that you have to change, and it's it's fascinating once you get the tools to work with it that you can become so much more efficient and you get so much more insight that is interesting hey uh, we spoke briefly about the past on um uh on on some of those issues that we haven't solved yet uh but where do you where do you believe if you if you look back now where are we better now than we have been in the past where do you see progress what what gives you hope uh, at the moment? Are you, do you have examples there? Well, I would say that we just have more knowing and we have more access. There's a, a record number of people that can read um, comparatively. We have a record number of people that have access to education, even though that's very low in, in certain demographics and in certain um, areas of the world, we're still striving toward that and we have incredible organizations that are dedicating you know just just their the entirety of what they do to to have access to to knowing and so i think that that is an important um, aspect of our future possible positive aspects of the, of, the, of what's to come um, and we are global and so um, you and I were talking right before this about how it, it, these sort of environmental and health impacts used to be a little bit more isolated than they were and it, it's just no longer that. Um, I read something a long time ago that said every single square inch of this planet has some sort of man-made chemical in it, um, all the way to the highest, highest peaks and the lowest peaks in the oceans, it's there. So we're no longer not connected, and I think that we're starting to, to see that and work together across all of these nations that have the power and privilege to be able to do that. I think we're getting closer to seeing that we're so interconnected. We are one big system that we can't do it alone um, and we shouldn't have expectations otherwise. Yeah, yeah, and as a former diplomat, then I would immediately like to add, since we are now really so interconnected, we are like one big country and we, we still govern it like kind of, you know, the 18th century, still nation states that are trying to cooperate but 
yeah, the plastic that is now blown out of your backyard will end up in microplastics that might end up either in the Mariana Trench or on the Mount Everest. It's 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 all really really connected, and um, it's uh, so that, so. Yeah, my personal focus is always very much on the governance aspect of it, and I I like your approach that is much wider. It's not just governance, but it's all of the, it's all of the above. It's all of the problems that we are facing on and that that needs this kind of systems approach to uh, to take it. Are you hopeful that that we will change the whole system because it it seems to be a requirement to solve these 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 big really global issues, the, the climate and the biodiversity and the pollution. And you can, you can add quite a few more to it, actually. But these are, let's say, the big three. Um, are you hopeful that we will manage to change? Of course, you can say we have to, but can we? Because it requires so much at the same time. And looking at the newspapers, I don't always get hopeful from what's happening these days. Yeah, I, I derive a lot of... Um hopeful possibility for when I think about all of the inputs that go into what has to happen. I see more and more people stepping up and into that space to contribute to it. I see more and more corporate responsibility. I see a lot of, you know, um, profits be damned sort of Patagonia decision making that really, um, uh, just destroys these barriers that otherwise other corporations might say, I, I can't do that because. Um, and so I'm hopeful that if enough of those things keep happening, that it will create a momentum where, like you said, it, it's just going to have to. And ultimately at the end, it's all about survival. And if we do want to survive, these are things that just have to happen. It doesn't necessarily mean they will um, in the way that we're going to need them. I mean, just just yesterday, right, the emissions gap report came out and said how woefully behind we are in meeting emissions standards and, and reductions and things like that. So there's no guarantee, but I think that people and groups of people and communities are like I said, stepping into that responsibility, and um, that gives me the most amount of hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see examples from both sides. I, I see the negative examples on the big scale, like the emissions gap report yesterday. I mean, that doesn't sound very hopeful. On the other hand, you you see so many positive examples of at individual level. You see some governments really stepping up. It's not enough yet, but it's probably. It's how a wave of change starts. It's always starts slow. You would have wanted the whole thing to start 30 years earlier, but we can't go back in time. So that's that's certainly uh, certainly a thing to think of. I'm looking at um, uh, all the uh, people that are listening in. Thanks for having so many people joining us. Uh, that's really, really amazing. And I know quite a few of you uh, from the first half of the year. I see some new faces as well. Um, if you have uh, any questions, uh, please uh, raise your hand uh, and uh, and you are uh, we're welcome to join uh, or if you have any comments or if you feel inspired or if you feel uh, the opposite, if you're really depressed and we can't solve it, you can say that as well. Um, and But I don't see anybody yet. I'll briefly go to, it's for me, you bit of a while ago that I was on here, I went to the live chat. I don't see anything in the chat either. Um, so that, that means we can, uh, we can. I see a question coming up. I see Evelyn. Hi, Evelyn. Um, can you unmute yourself in the bottom left if you're on the iPhone? Hi. Yeah, I'm not on an iPhone. It's on the bottom somewhere, but <laughs> hi. Um, I yeah, I did put... Um, good to have you back on, on the air. I did put a question in the, in the chat room before, but maybe you can't see that. But my, the question I have, um, is I Googled the principles. Number 10, if I'm correct, is design for degradation. Um, thus, do you do any research on plastics in that regard? Uh, so, 
I should probably um, note to everybody, I'm actually not a chemist myself. And so <laughs> I, um, I personally have not, um, but that is absolutely one of the aspects of that number 10. Uh, and then, you, you know, it's, I bet when you when you looked at those 12, you're like, well, number 10, design for degradation, that's really connected with number one, pollution prevention, because the one begets the other, right? And, and yeah. especially that cradle to grave and back around again. Um, and then, you know, using renewable feedstocks means that then you are thinking about degradation in terms of uh, renewable and that sort of thing as well. So that interconnectedness, um, plastics are a major aspect of the innovation and our our possibilities for technology serving us well, but historically they are one of the major problems that we have that we now have to mitigate based on these sort of 12 principles of green chemistry and sustainability and the UN sustainable development goals. So it's, um, it's, a, it is a circular sort of thing, which when you look at the 12 principles of green chemistry, they, they are, they are circular and interrelated. And so, um, I appreciate um, that you brought that up, um, and, and plastic pollution is absolutely a, a major aspect that we have to try to come to come come to grace with. I would say. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it seems to be the one of the of the big three that is that gets least attention. People focus so much on climate change, and then maybe a number second is is biodiversity, and then pollution is is quickly catching up as the good number three. It used to be people spoke only about climate and biodiversity, and now pollution, especially the plastic aspect, is uh, is really popping up. What I was thinking about while you were talking, and when you um, when you educate your students on on this more system thinking approach and, and thinking much wider than just, let's say, the, the chemistry or, or even just the STEM aspects of it all, do you include the, the Agenda 2030 and the, and the SDGs? Do, are they aware of it and, and how do you focus on it? No, thank you for asking because one of the things that I wanted to make sure to bring up is when we are as individuals or part of greater organizations or, or agencies, when we're thinking about how do we um, make change, how do we think about climate change and biodiversity in these greater capacities, um, one of the things that I really like to emphasize is a, a, a sort of attaching or um, building your plan around frameworks and those frameworks are the SDGs. It, it is those um, global um, actions that, that we're calling all of the nations to have in, in, in our um, in our organizations and, and personal selves. So um, using those as a building block and a rationale as to why we need to prioritize these is going to get every single person who does that, every single organization and agency who, who centers on those frameworks, it's going to get them all in one space, <laughs> all together. And then they're all going to be working towards all of those things all at once. And that's how you make change in systems, right? Like you have to collectively really charge through and, and have that. If we're all doing different things, it never comes together. So I tell my students and I tell, you know, everybody who who's listening, if we all get together in this in this one call to action or use this one framework or, or or use this one model, we can get there. We really can. And everything that we do, even if it feels small and insignificant, is actually contributing to global change. So I I, I really am thankful that you asked that question because I just wanted to to remind people that there are ways to make great change with, with small things. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an absolute success of diplomacy that uh, that disagreement was found in these few hopeful months in 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 the last months of the year uh, 2015 when we had both uh, COP21 in Paris and we agreed on the Millennium Goals and we had like two or three other great conferences going on at that moment and that was just this brief moment of hope that things would change and then suddenly uh everything changed and uh, and it's uh, so it's 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 a challenge but we still have the framework and i still believe that the whole 17 sustainable development goals and uh, what is it 169 targets that we should focus on it's still it's it's an amazing framework and it's an amazing improvement on the old millennium goals 
And uh, but yeah, we have only eight years left, so it's uh, it's it's going to be a huge challenge. I see uh, Sharon um, uh, raised her hand, called in, I should say. <laughs> yes, I called in from. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Alex. Great to have you back on the air. Um, thank Great you, Doctor. <laughs> thank you, Doctor Lasker. Um, I've really enjoyed um, what you had to say. I'll make this short. Um, <clears throat> I read that two of the agenda items for COP27 would be implementation and creative financing. Um, can you speak to both of those? Um, I, was, I was kind of thinking about creative financing. Um, what, where, where is the planet going to get this money? And how creatively would you suggest that they use it? One of the things that I am starting to recognize is the power of decision making and the power of um, making decisions that are environmentally and socially just regardless of sort of that economic um, potentiality of negative impact. Um, and so it's an interesting thing because not all change does require financing and, 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 and money and big sums of it, right? And so again, if we think about everybody's uh, dot on the systems map, what are the things collectively we can do that are going to have great impact? But, you know, thinking about it creatively at like um, a, a corporate sort of like a, a big software agency or, or a big technology agency, um, using software like jump thinking about how i can change this variable and it's more sustainable because i'm not going to have this waste product but it's going to have an impact on the way in which i can more quickly get this product out so we're shifting we're not sort of using resource we're just shifting it and and the same could be had for the economics of it and i think that um when we have uh, um when we prioritize uh, funding and financing towards those environmental and socially just agenda items and the SDGs and everything like that, we're really taking a stand and saying, these are our values. And so we're gonna devalue those things that are anti. We're gonna devalue funding in, 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 in wars and, and, and sort of those kind of conflicts that create these problems. And we're gonna shift that. So I don't think we need more. I just think we need to change where we collectivize around what those values are. And then when we do that, I think that it's gonna take time. I, this is definitely not, I mean, we are running out of time when you think about the, the 2030 agenda, but, um, but that's okay uh, because it's, it's continual and, and, and that sort of thing is important. So the, the more we can think about shift towards these things as priority values, um, I think that that might help. I'm not in economics, I don't absolutely have any sort of specialty in that, but um, when that question comes up, that's sort of how I try to lean people toward. Thank you so much, that was a great answer. I'd love to take one of your classes. <laughs> I would love for you to take one of my classes. <laughs> All right, maybe I can do it, maybe I can do it by Zoom. <laughs> I will send you a link. You, you, okay. for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. Nice that you could uh, you could join again. Anybody else? This question, uh, please, uh, please raise your hand. What I was thinking when you were speaking about is how do your I was thinking about the students in your class. I mean, they grow up in this time and age in a time when you see worldwide. Uh, polarization, populism, you see a trend towards, you know, simple solutions for complex problems, etc. It seems that you're teaching exactly the opposite. You're explaining that things are really complex and that you can only find solutions if you really look at everything that is at stake and if you all work together and you have to be international and creative and scientific. You seem to be rowing against uh, against the stream, if you look at at not just politics there, but 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 more, let's say society at large seems to be uh, drifting away from the kind of um, yeah more nuanced academic uh, 
or let's say diplomatic, <laughs> talk about my own background, but, but yeah, the kind of academic, diplomatic, more nuanced approaches that you would like to see. How, how are you, are your students dealing with this? Because they get, they get, uh, they get a taste of both sides. They hear at university something else than they hear in the media, for instance. There's a lot of um, grappling right now. And, um, you know, I, I think that I don't shy away from having conversations about complexity and, and, and big picture because I am, I come from a lot of different educational aspects of, of study, but one of them is public health. And the, the way in which human health systems are interrelated, it's just absolutely complex. And I'll give you an example, like depression. It's very easy for somebody to say, oh, you're depressed because of this. Change it and you know will longer. And then somebody else will come and say, oh, no, 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 you're depressed because of that. And if you change it, then you will be free from your depression. And the person that's actually in that space knows that it is so much more complex than that. And you can't just change one or two things and have that solution. And so if we can teach people to be comfortable with the time that it takes to unravel and redesign the system that they're trying to conquer or um, live within, then we'll just be much more realistic to what life actually is. And so I'll tell my public health students, we, we have to absolutely look at all of the, the variables that would go into somebody having depression, not just the chemical aspect of it, the genetic aspect, but the systems of community, the way in which we've, uh, you know, deprivileged certain individuals and, and they don't have access to the things that make us happy and well. And so I challenge my students to see that because those are the things we have to fix, but we have to fix them all. But what I tell my students and I tell everybody that I have conversations with, no one person has to solve them all. And if we could do that, we would have already done it and we wouldn't be in this place today. So when I have my students think about systems, I'll pop a really big problem in front of them. Like for example, breast cancer. And I'll say, I want you to think about breast cancer. I want you to solve breast cancer. And they look at me like I'm like, you know, an alien and Dr. Grace, how do I do that? And I was like, let's think about all of the things that go into what would have and lead to breast cancer. And I have them build these incredible maps. We get huge pieces of paper and we talk about the social determinants of health, like education and economics and, and what kind of income you have, what sort of transportation do you have, what kind of food can you eat, and all of these things that would go into a you know breast cancer case. And I have them draw the lines and connect them and think about, well, if you changed one, how would that change the other? Would that positively impact the, the breast cancer incidence or not? And so I get them to see that. And then at the end, I do this really fun thing. Um, well, I think it's fun. They're just in my classroom, so they're probably ready to be done with the day. But I, I have them circle one of the variables that they most um, empathize with or see themselves within as part of the solution. I have each one of the teams circle the map and inevitably, everybody's circling different inputs. One person's like, I really want to make sure people are educated. I really want to make sure that there's no chemicals in the food that we eat. I'm really excited about policy banning, you know, uh, endocrine disrupting uh, chemicals. And when you step back and you see all the things that everybody's circled, it's darn near the whole map. And it's this beautiful way to say, see, we actually can do this. You can't do it all, but collectively we're, we circled everything. So here we go. Let's do it. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's, a, that's inspiring to students as well. And, uh, I, I think so. in my, <laughs> that's in my, my university goal. days, we didn't look at it this big. Things were more compartmentalized. So you can focus on, on, on one thing, but it, it, it didn't make it part of the, the bigger, let's say holistic approach. And that is typically what is, what is needed uh, these days. Um, I, I, I really see it that way as well. So I'm, I, I think this is all really inspiring. Uh, a very last question. Um, what gives you hope 
before we end it, I would like to ask that because we talk about future, we talk about huge problems, uh, we talk about solutions, but from what you see around you these days, and, and there's a lot to say about negative things, and if you look in the media, there's, there's, there's much more negative news than positive news, and negative news sells better. Um, but yeah, what gives you hope for the future? If you, if you look forward, what would you like to mention there? Uh, for me personally, it's the incredible beauty of the resiliency of people. And no matter whether we are in crisis situations or um, in, in privileged, opulent situations and periods of time, no matter where we are, that resiliency um, is, is just absolutely present. And when I think, oh, what if we don't meet these targets? What if we absolutely just get devastated with, you know, um, natural disasters and health disasters related to climate change. What if we don't do it? I still am, I still see that we as people will be resilient through even those crisis situations to, to be together, to help each other, to survive, to, to make it as best as we can. I know that that's going to happen. So even in the darkest of it, that beauty will still be there. And so I, I, that's, that gets me wake up every morning to say, we can do this. And even if it gets really bad, we're still going to do it. We're still going to make it. Fantastic. I love it. The way you formulate this, I, w I would like to thank you for, uh, for joining us. Stay on the line when I, uh, when I close down uh, the app, please. Uh, but this was amazing. I, I love to hear all your insights. I, I wish I would have been a student in your class uh, a long time ago when I was uh, still a student. I would also like to thank everybody uh, that uh, joined today. It's nice after having been out for such a long time that so many people uh, joined today. I hope even many more people will listen later once, uh, once the podcast is published. And uh, for those listeners, also for Grace as well, by the way, if you're interested, but there will be uh, more podcasts uh, soon in uh, November and December. Uh, we will focus uh, a little bit more on, on green chemistry and also on how to deal with these big data and, and uh, the kind of uh, jump software that was also mentioned. We'll, we'll get deeper into that in a podcast soon. Uh, I haven't really agreed on the date yet, but that, that will somewhere in the next few weeks. Um, we'll have another one on that and there will be uh, quite a few podcasts on water issues and wastewater and as all of you know uh, water and climate change is, is like 95% the same thing but it has uh, a lot of um, special aspects uh, that uh, that need to be dealt with so I want to dive a bit deeper into that with some uh, some very interesting regional asp uh, experts I'm, I'm setting up the calls with them at the moment so in uh, in November that will start I was in touch with Alistair and uh, Alistair and I agreed that um, next year we will uh, pick it up again and we will do not the frequency of the podcast we did in the first half year we were just getting uh, a, a bit overworked by that uh, four times a week was way too much for us but we will be back together as well and i'm sure he um, sends everybody his regards uh, through me um, so the two of us together uh, plan that for um, somewhere early next year thanks so much i hope to uh, to see you all back uh, i'll um, I'll inform you uh, both through the app and through Twitter and other uh, communication channels uh, when uh, the next uh, podcast will be and on what issue. Thanks so much. Hope to see you all soon.